the title of the message today is this, from 2 Timothy 1.14. Guard the good deposit. Guard the good deposit. That's taken directly from the text of Scripture. And so let me just get into this and set it up a little bit. And let's see where the Spirit of the Lord takes us this morning. But I, I want to communicate this. I, this is an important word for anyone who's in, I think, that, that phase of life from your late teens into your mid-30s. And it, but, it's prob- it, but it's a word for us all because it comes from the Scripture. And it's a word for the younger people as well, for the teenagers and the preteens. And for those children that can understand it. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are referred to as the pastoral epistles because... Paul is writing to these two men who are charged with pastoral responsibilities over uh, local congregations. Timothy in the, the city of Ephesus, in the church at Ephesus, and Titus on the Isle of Crete. And um, so I think there's, there's a degree to which, and I read through First and Second Timothy this week because I, I felt that there was a degree to which what Paul says to them is applicable to those of you who are in that younger adult age group, um, because these two men are believed to be younger men in leadership. And we often hear Timothy described as a young pastor, a young man. And I used to think that maybe he was 18 or 19. Uh, Biblical scholars believe that Timothy was probably in his early 30s. And so if you're in your early 30s, you're still young. Is that all right? and you are. It's, it's, you're at a young and a fresh place in your life, even though you may have by that time accrued uh, considerable education and even years of experience in your given field. And uh, so uh, Timothy and Titus are much younger than Paul. And uh, just as you all are, I, would, I was going to say quite a bit younger than myself, but I would just say a little younger than me. And so the concerns that the apostle deals with in First and Second Timothy and Titus really, I think, do speak very poignantly to young adults who are starting out on the road of life. And as such, uh, in that place in your, in, your, in your life, in that space in your journey, you're, you're, you're presented with choices. And the way that you respond to those choices will determine your spiritual destiny and and oftentimes your destiny with regard to a lot of factors in your life. Because in your young adult years, you are presented with, chat, with obstacles and difficulties that will hinder your progress if you, if you allow them. You're, you're presented with challenges that will shape who you become spiritually. And you are presented with opportunities that can be seized upon or squandered. And uh, so in Paul's second letter to Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 14... Paul gives Timothy this charge. Let's read it together. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guarded with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's the word of the Lord to us this morning. Our challenge over the next few moments is to try to understand what that means, what it meant here, and what it means here. And... um, I, I, reading through First and Second Timothy, the, the degree of repetition on Paul's part is is, is astonishing. It's though he, it's as though he's trying to drive some points home, and so I don't bemoan my own tendency to be repetitive because I realize that a part of educating and teaching and instructing is repetition because there are some things we only get when we hear them over and over and over 
and over again. Some of you learn to give because every Sunday the preachers bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Give a, you know, but there's certain, but you're glad, you're, some of you are glad now that you got the same stuff drilled into you in Sunday school and in church and youth church and, and, and Bible study when you were a youngster because it really took root in your heart because you heard it over and over and over again and it became second nature. And we learn by repetition, don't we? If you're about to take a test, if you're trying to memorize something, you prepare flashcards, you put them in your pocket, and when you're standing in line at the grocery store, you go through them and you repeat the same process over and over again. And so there's this repetition because Timothy has been given one of those jobs. You know, there are jobs, and then there are jobs. And pastoring is a wonderful job, and it's not a job. It's, a, it's called a vocation. It's, it's a calling. It's a, it's a ministry. It's a, it's a role, but, but it's also a job in that it entails responsibility. And uh, Timothy's been given one of those because he's been placed in the church at Ephesus, not because it was, everything was cool and we just want a younger guy, but because things were kind of messed up and we need somebody to get it straight. Same with Titus on the island of Crete. He's placed there, and Paul says, what you need to do, Titus, is you need to set the church of God in order. You need to get it all organized and get rid of the rabble-rousers. And and you can imagine when you're a younger person, and I know when I was a younger adult, and coming in and trying to lead and deal with people that are older than you, particularly when some of them are messed up, because sometimes, guess what, I, I realize that it's not just... Sometimes when you're a younger person, you feel that like everybody thinks that kids are messed up, but then you realize that, that, that there are a lot of people older than you that got issues. None of you know what I'm talking about, right? So this is Timothy's thing. Go to Ephesus, and you've got to deal with the false teachers. You've got to deal with, with the, uh, you've got to preserve the integrity of the truth. You've got to faithfully serve God's people in the midst of environments that are dealing, that are kind of reeling from, from bad teaching and people who are sneaking in and trying to corrupt and trying to mess things up. That's, that, that's not always the most coveted job. But that, that's, that's where these guys are at. And that's where Timothy's at. And they're dealing with cultural forces, particularly in Titus. If you read the book of Titus, it's a short read. The Cretan culture is a part of the problem. In doing ministry, the surrounding culture is always a part of your challenge because people are affected and infected by the culture surrounding them. And oftentimes, the the culture around you is not necessarily Christian, even though we call this a Christian nation. You know that American culture, and particularly popular culture, some aspects of culture are good and, and, and acceptable. Some aspects of culture are not. And so, in, in Titus, the apostle tells Titus, he says, this is cold-blooded if you're a Cretan. Does that sound like somebody from another planet? We, I am a Cretan. I come from the planet of Cretonia. We are here to take over Earth. But if you're a Cretan... And Paul says this in, in Titus. He says, it has been said that Titans, that, 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 I'm sorry, that Cretans are lazy, greedy, gluttons. And you would think he would say, but I know that couldn't be true. He says, and to some extent I believe it. That's exactly what it says in there in the text. He says, it's been said that Cretans are lazy, brutes, liars, or greed, something like that. He says, and to some extent I believe it. In other words, some, in some cultural settings, in some localities, in some neighborhoods, people are messed up to where that's really the vibe. In some of our culture today, in some of our neighborhoods today, you look around you and yeah, people are messed up and the overriding thing is not very encouraging. 
And that's what Titus has to deal with. He's a young man. He has to deal with trying to do truth in an age characterized by falsehood. He's characterized with, he's, he's charged rather with the challenge of trying to, to do ministry in a situation that maybe at times is hostile towards ministry. He's not provided the luxury of a Christianized surrounding culture and neither are you. Those of us who are older grew up under the illusion that we lived within a Christian culture. America has never been thoroughly Christian. You don't keep slaves and, and be thoroughly Christian. I don't mean to be harsh, but there's always there's been this blend in American culture of Christian, Judeo-Christian values and sentimentalities and, and values, but also there's always been the, under, the, the other strain of American culture that there's always been sin. Go back to the late 19th century, at the time when, when, there were, when, when monopolies were the, the order of the day and, and the, the, the oppression of the poor was rampant in this country and it was, it was organized labor and it was more progressive laws and things that, that broke some of that, that broke the back of child labor and all those things. And so there's always been, it's always been a mixed bag, right? And so you always critique culture by the word of God and by, by that lens of righteousness. You never just say, well, this is culture. And so you don't have the luxury, if you're a young adult, if you're a younger person, of growing up in a a sanitized, innocuous, Christianized culture where everybody believes the same thing you do. You're growing up in a pluralistic society where many people believe the opposite of what you do. Many people are hostile towards you for, for what you believe. There's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of craziness. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But this is not the first time that has happened. That's the way it was 2,000 years ago. You, to a greater extent than my generation, are not afforded the luxury of having come to age in a culture rooted solely in Christian values. And so what you have to do is create culture. How many of you know that we can do that? You know, that's what we do as a church together. We create culture. We create an ethos. We create an environment. We influence people. We influence our neighborhood. We influence the community. We influence the thinking of those around us. We create culture. And that's what you have to do. You have to create culture. You have to shape it. You have to influence it or it will shape and influence you. And so Timothy is told in this letter in these two letters of first and second Timothy time and time again to major in the truth and to avoid and this 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 idea emerges in several places to avoid idle chatter and empty words you all know about idle chatter and empty words to avoid static to avoid religious noise empty words speculation about things that are above your heads that are not rooted in any rational thoughts speculation a lot of deliberation about things that don't really matter because you guys get ready for it because i'm you know those of us that are beyond you are already dealing with it there are a lot of people there are a lot of christian folks and a lot of people in 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 christian settings that are talking they're they're talking loud and saying nothing and there are a lot of people that want to talk about things that don't really matter, and they want to harp on things that really, they want to major in minor, minors and harp on things that really are inconsequential. And so Paul with Timothy is all about get all the 
garbage out the way and get your focus narrow and get the people around you focused. And this is why in, in doing ministry, we want to make sure that we preach Christ and Christ crucified, that it's about Jesus, it's about the kingdom of God, it's about righteousness, it's about peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, it's about, it's about loving each other, it's about serving the world, and there's a whole lot of periphery, there's a whole, there's a whole lot of peripheral stuff and a whole lot of, 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 of minutiae that really is not worth our time. We don't get that much time together. And so we want to make it really count. And so that Paul challenges Timothy to be strong, to fight the good fight of faith, to teach it right, to live it right. And in our context this morning, this is what he's saying. He's challenging them a few verses earlier in 2 Timothy. He says, remember that God has not given us timid spirits, timid meaning fearful or reticent or weak. You may be quiet, you may be demure, you may be soft-spoken. That doesn't mean you, that you have to be timid. And you can be bold and you can be courageous. That doesn't mean you have to be loud and boisterous and in everybody's face. But there's a heart and a spirit thing where there's something in your inside of you that dares to stand up for what's right and that dares to speak out when you need to and that dares to do what you don't always want to do and what isn't always easy. And so Paul says to Timothy, he says, Listen, understand this. There's something good has been transmitted to you and passed on to you. And so understand that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. The spirit that he's given you is a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so for Timothy and Titus both, the overarching realities that he's encouraging them towards is number one, to contend for order in a disordered world and in a disordered environment. To contend for self-control in the midst of an out-of-control culture and to contend for the truth over and against deception that's rampant. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to contend for order in the midst of the disorder and the chaos all around you. You'll have to stand for self-control and cultivate self-control, which the Spirit of God will cultivate in you if you let him, in a world, in an environment that is characterized by the lack thereof, and then contend for the truth over and against the lies that are everywhere. That's your challenge. We're all Christians. We're all struggling to find out what faith, what our faith means in our lives. As, and you, particularly as younger individuals, as you mature, you're trying to put it all into context and put it all into place. And you're faced with the challenge of applying the truth of God's word to the everyday situations that you face. And you face the challenge of living with integrity, making relationships work, dealing with family issues, vocational and educational choices. And then you come here. And hang out with people like me and the rest of us. And you hear the word of God and you, you have the choice of either just being here or really being here. And thank God, I'm so grateful for you guys because you are really here. You are really part of the community. And one of the things that I envision is this. For anyone over 18, is, 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 is not that there is ever a, another so-called young adult Sunday but that this becomes a church where young adults along with middle-aged adults and older adults and children and teenagers are all fully integrated and fully integrated and fully assimilated into the life the ministry and the witness of this church so that there's some of you that God will prompt to 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 proclaim the word of God I am looking for and praying for those that would come alongside me from generations under my generation to, to serve in not just doing stuff, 
Because, it, uh, and, you know, it's, and I, it's one thing to give people tasks, and we all share in tasks, but it's, it's more than just that, but it is, it's, it's everything that is done in this context. Everything that is, is done in ministry is begging for a younger expression. And we've got that in our worship team, don't we? We've got Ashley, we've got Charles Jr., and, and Alex is still a young adult. Alvin wants to be, but it's too late. I'm just picking on you today, my brother. Because I want to be too, man. <laughs> Dimitri would want to be in that too. But what about the pulpit? What about, what about every other ministry in this church that needs occup- occupation? I, I want you to understand that we are all part of the body of Christ. You don't just show up, but you have really shown up and you have become a part of what God is doing here. You are vital to us and we need your voice. We need your input. We need your opinion. We need your perspective. We need your presence to, to color and to, to augment this panoramic picture that is Grace Chapel. We need you to be a part of that photo. You remember, do they still do panoramic photos for like, yeah. And you know, like at school, right? Back when you went to school back in the 70s, now you had them rolled up in a box and now they're all falling apart and stuff, you know, because they, they're getting old. But they took the camera and it went on a thing like this and it used a big long roll of film and, it, and that's how they did that. Now you're doing with your iPhones, right? And, 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 and so you had your class picture. Well, we want everybody in the class picture. We want everybody. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so I, I want to find out And I want to keep this conversation going because I want to find out where God will plug in other people and and use other people because I want you in here and I want you a part of what's going on because you are here and you you are you guys are are been consistent and you guys obviously and and there's so many of you that I that I have baptized and I've had the opportunity of ministering to and ministering with and so that's what we want to deal with now I want to challenge you so I want to challenge you with regard in the same words that Paul has. In, in challenge Timothy, this is what the Lord is saying to you today, is this, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, guarded with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard the good deposit. Can you just say that? Guard the good deposit. And to our young adult community, those who are here and those who will hear this by podcast or those who may never hear it because they don't care, just kidding, without exception, you have all confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. And as you have progressed on your life's journey, there have been many times when you've struggled to ascertain the relevance of that confession in the context of your own life. I know that's real because that's the way it was when I was coming of age. And that's the way it tends to be in every generation. And sometimes you look at the kids that seem to be so plugged in and doing so well. And I've worked at Christian colleges with young Christian college students. And you know what? But everybody trips. Everybody struggles. Everybody has questions. Everybody goes through transitions and seasons and has to figure it out. I don't mean that everybody walks away from the faith and goes buck wild. By no means. That's not what I'm talking about. But it is an adjustment coming of age. You deal with cultural issues. You deal with social issues. You deal with physical and emotional and psychological issues and you will deal with the role and the meaning of the gospel in your lives and as you have progressed you've been pulled by the power of love closer to the center like timothy most of you have 
have somebody godly in your lineage, whether it's your mother and father, mother or father, grandmother, grandfather, grandmother and grandfather, auntie, uncle, play aunt, play mother, play aunt, play uncle, play brother, play somebody. None of you, very few of of the young adults around me just at 16 years old were living in the midst of a heathen lifestyle and just said, I think I'll get my, most of you were brought to the faith by somebody that ushered you into, that brought you to church or raised you in the faith. You've got that foundation. And our family systems are this mixed bag. And I say this on good authority because I come from a family, a wonderful family system, a Christian family, my wife as well. Both sets of our parents were, were, were believers. But in reality, family systems are this mixed bag of, of faith and faultiness. Can I be real about it? This mixed bag of, of faith and faultiness. Because our parents love us and try to live before us or sometimes don't. Because what you, understand, what you realize as you grow up is that your, your mom and your dad, your grandmother, your grandfather, your auntie, your uncle, whoever, guess what? You find out that they're all human beings just like you are. I used to be really hard on my dad till I got grown. I was hard on him until I started trying to raise a family. Because you know what? In your, in, your in your late teen years and in your early 20s and stuff, it can be about well, you know, all the things that they didn't do for me and all the things time he didn't spend with me. And, and I came to understand, well, you know, work was important. Because, and thereby I had a pretty secure existence in that regard. I never, I never went hungry for a meal and I, never, you know, I, was never, I was never short of the things I needed. But I look, you, know, you look and you become good. But we, our families are a mixed bag. But thank God for the, the Christian heritage and thank God for the witness and thank God for whatever influence that you had that brought you into contact with, the, with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No matter how flawed or how confusing it may have been, Thank God that you are where you are and you know that there is a God in heaven that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die for you and that God created you and has a purpose for your life. Somehow you came to know that a lot of your peers don't have a clue. A lot of people around you didn't have the luxury of that, of that understanding. And we're seeing a generation of young people and young adults who are growing up unchurched and godless and clueless about the truth. So immersed, and it breaks my heart when I look around me in the community and I see so many of our people are so immersed in gang culture and so immersed in street life and so immersed in in, in the world around them that they have lost contact with any understanding of who God is or what he desires from their lives. And it pains me because I know that what got us here, what got us to 2014 was not partying and, and, and drinking and tripping and acting ignorant. But what got us here was the, the, the heritage and the legacy of Jesus Christ. That what got us through the civil rights movement was people who laid down their lives in the name of Jesus to bring about freedom for an oppressed people. What got us through slavery was the witness of Jesus, the, the gospel. That's what brought us through. And we, we've, we've, we've rejected it. Not you, but our community around us. It pains me when I look at, and I've talked to other people about this, trying to reach our community, trying to reach people for Jesus. There's so many people that are so, have placed themselves so much out of your reach. And we know how 
difficult and challenging it is in this community, in this neighborhood, to try to, to try to help somebody. People come through, but they don't come to. When we do the outreach, it's, we deal, we've learned to love and to give unconditionally, expecting nothing in return as Jesus did. Because there are a lot of people who are glad to receive this stuff, but they really don't care about Jesus. And so we pray for them and we love them. But that's the world, the reality that we're dealing with. Our family systems, no matter what they are, have given us somehow through the providence and the grace of God something wonderful, something that we may not have even come to fully understand yet, but God brought it to us. He gave us this gift. He placed in our lives a good deposit. And so I beg of you this morning, don't let the system, don't let Satan rob you of this treasure. Don't squander it through skepticism. Don't allow neglect to negate it. There's a reason why you're here, a reason why you are you, a reason why every single one of you has been baptized into the Christian faith. And you can tell the people around you and the people that will criticize the church and the idea of you going to church, you can, confer, you can confirm this for me. You can tell them, no, the church is not perfect. Not the church in its human expression. The church in its spiritual expression. The holy Catholic church, the holy universal church, all the, the communion of, of believers all around the world throughout all history, that in the presence of God is perfect. In the earth, we're not perfect. And these are tumultuous times of change and challenge. But the one thing that anchors us all is the fact that Jesus, in the words of Hebrews 13, 8, and it used to be right here, it's not here anymore, but he's the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's not here, and, and that's, I had to get rid of I was glad we painted because I got tired of the gothic King James-ish you know, old English lettering that looked, you know, because everything Christian was always like old Europe. And it's like, if we put it back, it's going to be in new script, cool something now. Because the point about it is like, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not in an old, static, and stodgy way. It doesn't mean that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the sense that he has no clue of what's going on now because he just is, but he, that he is, that there's the essence of who he is does not change. The essence of his attributes and his qualities is unchanging. He's the same as he always was and he will always be, but he is adaptable and relatable and palpable to every culture, every generation, and every era. And that's how we are to be, by the way, as we become more like him. We become steadfast and immovable, but it doesn't mean stone cold and inflexible. We're able to adapt and to find meaning and to find expression throughout all the stages of our lives, no matter what culture around us is doing. So understand this, that God has put something, he has placed a deposit in your life. It's a deposit that if you let it will sustain you through every one of life's seasons. It's a deposit that will hold you when, you when you would fall. It's a deposit that will sustain you when you're sick. It'll help you through your times of trial. It will answer the questions somewhere down the road that you hold in your heart. God has placed that deposit in you, and here's the challenge. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit.
who lives in us. That's our call. Amen. Amen. Now, I came to faith as a, as a kid, child, literally of six years old. I grew up in the 70s, an era of big afros. Even I had one. It was work, but I made it, I made it, I made it work. Uh, it was the, during the time of the sexual rev, so-called sexual revolution, late 60s to the early 70s. Things that you guys learn at five years old, we didn't figure out till we were like 25. <laughs> because things that, were, that are everywhere now and unabashedly in our faces were hidden from plain view, thank God. Time of, I grew up in the era of hippies, unwashed hair, long stringy hair, except mine was fluffed up. And uh, the 70s. I, 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 and I, and, and the, the deposit in me that was placed there through my family, it, it somehow sustained me through all of those times as I was coming of age and graduating from high school and trying to move forward and get married and have a family. And then through the 80s, I, I dealt with the challenges of, of, our, of us rearing children and f- finding work. You remember, because this, remember how the economy was in the 80s? You say Ronald Reagan in the eighties, and uh, and I, it, it was hard then. You guys think it's, it's hard now, but it was times. It was hard in the seventies. It was, got hard in the eighties. I, I we lived through. See, when I first started driving, gas was like thirty cents a gallon, and now it's like five dollars a gallon. You used to give somebody a dollar for gas, and they wouldn't slap you. That was really something. Oh, give me the, here's a dollar for gas. Oh, thanks. Now, here's an dollar for gas. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> it, it'll cost me a dollar to pull from that one pump to the next one. <laughs> the first self-serve station that I saw in like 1971 or something was at Artesia and Van Ness. It's a strip mall there. And it was a mobile station. And when they first opened, it was... It was that's, see, because when I was growing up, guess what? They used to pump gas at the gas station. How many... Some of you ladies wish they still did that, right? You drive up, man, and you say, and, and they would run out there, dude, have a rag in his pocket. You kind of like a goober, you know, a goober pile kind of guy. It's like, can I help you? And you know, they and while they were pumping your gas, they would clean your windshield and check your oil for free, check your tires and air them up, put water in your radiator. We used to open them up back then. And then I remember the first. Self-serve that mobile build on Artesia and Van Ness, and the gas when that station opened up, because I was just started, it was twenty-five point nine cents a gallon. Oh, how far the mighty have fallen! I lived through that, and somehow the deposit in me through all of the through the bad music of the eighties, when drum machines came in, trashy sounding ones that cost two thousand dollars. I had one an Oberheim DX, bad music. But somehow, the deposit sustained me. In the 90s, dealing with ministry and my kids growing up and all the challenges of your children coming of age and sending them away to college, the nest being emptied and being refilled again. <laughs> Work changes, ministry challenges, my wife going through career development, and, 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 as, and as even kind of older adults, we still ourselves pursuing self-improvement and education. Somehow the deposit that was, was made in me, God enabled me to guard that and it has kept me and sustained me. And, and, and we've been able to, 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 to it took us into the, the 2000s and into the, this last decade dealing with, with, for me, the issues that come along with being a man of a certain age. 
you know what I mean? Looking at my destiny, my legacy, what can, will I accomplish with my life? How can I make the most of the time I have left? How can I best love and serve people in my family? But through everything, through every loss, through every embarrassment, through every humiliation, through every ounce of pain, through everything I have been through, and I have been through a lot, the deposit that was made in me, God gave me the foresight and the wisdom. Sometimes I was a little lax with it, but God enabled me to guard it, and somehow that deposit has sustained me and bless me so that at this point in my life listen I am old I see people my age that obviously are particularly men who have lost their way and don't have a clue as to where they're going and I don't know everything about the future but I know who holds me and I know that I'm secure and I know I'm going to be alright because there is a deposit in me and it has been there so through recessions and revolutions and riots and earthquakes, housing market booms and housing market busts, gas prices from 25 cents to $5, from an era when love songs were really about love to an era when love is all about lust, from R&B to rap and then back again. When gospel music was really about the gospel and before we even had seatbelts and headrests in cars. Through all of the changes, I've, I've changed and grown, and I continue to change and grow and to, be, and to become more and more resilient as I go along. But I, I don't think the same way I did 30 years ago, and you won't either. And I have different opinions than I had a decade ago, and you will too. I know a whole lot more now than I did then, and that being said, I'm struck by how much I don't know. The more I learn, the more dumb I realize I really am. But through every chapter, as the song says, of my life story, Jesus has been there. And he's been the same loving, gracious, merciful, heavenly father challenging me to lay down my life and follow him. In every context, in every season, in every generation, in every passage. What I got as a kid, what I learned as a teenager... The Jesus I came to know in the 70s, the Holy Spirit that, that filled my life as a youngster, it has been there and it has sustained me. Paul is telling Timothy this. He says, your mother and your grandmother hooked you up with a solid foundation. They gave you something. They passed something wonderful on to you. Your faith will not look exactly like theirs. That's okay. It's not supposed to. But it's the same deposit. So you guard it. You preserve it. You keep it. You don't let idle chatter and empty words and speculation steal it from you. Don't let popular culture supplant it. Don't let culture based upon trendiness, profit motives, and shallowness deprive you of the one thing in life that is enduring, real, and purposeful. It's the idea of guarding what someone gives you to keep from them. That's the idea in the Greek language. It's like if I were to be so short-sighted as to, oh, let's see, take a, oh, a piece of fine jewelries. Uh, ju- Did I say jewelries? That's because I was trying to go to another word. I was going to say say, and then, so, then it came out jewelries. I said, no, that sounds really ghetto. I, if I was going to take my wife's jewelries, let's say my wife, she doesn't, has, much to my detriment here, has a, a $25,000 ring. If you did, you would not be wearing it. At least... And, and, and I'm getting ready to go on a trip, and we're going to leave the house. And I don't want to leave it in the house, even though it's insured. AAA got me covered. But. And so I, I, I take and, and I, get, I, I, I take that ring in a little box, and I go over to, oh, let's see, who can I pick on here? Uh, I go over to Travis Lacey's house. <laughs> He's fair game. I say, Travis, this is, 
this is my wife's special ring. It's worth $25,000. And I don't want to leave it in the house locked up with this security system on, fully insured. So I'm going to bring it to you so you can stay up all night worried about this ring. And Lernice is thinking, hmm. <laughs> and so it's like, if I did that, or if I left anything, if I, you know, whether if I left, if I had a nice car, I said, Travis, you know, the, the, somebody called here a couple weeks ago, and they, they, they didn't know me, but they said they just wanted to leave this message. They said, I noticed on you, but said, it was wanted to know if I was interested in buying a 1986 Rolls Royce. <laughs> If I was going to buy a Rolls Royce, it wouldn't be a 1986. And I don't need it that bad. You know, it's like, that's like, really, you know, it's like, I just got to have a Rolls Royce. No, Honda Accord is just fine. It's a year and a half old, thank God. But, you know, so I, so I took my 1986 Rolls Royce and my 19, my 2015 Rolls Royce, and I said, Travis, I need you to hold this for me. Now, he can do one. That Rolls Royce is an even better analogy, isn't it? Because he can do several things with that Rolls He can lock it in the garage and make sure that nobody comes around there and, and really take care of it and leave it shut down and, and go out there and start it every, if I'm going to go, you know, so the battery stays good. Or he could take the car and go drive it down in the hood <laughs> with the windows down and the music bumping and get jacked and lose my car. You see, what Paul is saying is when somebody... It's, you treat the spirit of God in you like when somebody gives you something precious that look out for this, take care of this. You, do, you deal with it with the same diligence. You get the picture? You don't, don't squander, don't play with it, don't be irresponsible with it, don't, don't neglect it, but embrace it, take care of it, watch over it, guard it. Let me give you the context real quick, and I know we're getting late, and I don't want to keep you real long, but, but I don't, let, me, let me just tell you what, I'm going to look up a few verses. This is the whole context of this chapter in 2 Timothy 1. So you I'm put this in context. We're going to take it a little bit further out. Then we're going to wrap it up, okay? This is Paul, uh, Paul's talking about this deposit. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. This is because Timothy is struggling in this job that he's got this calling. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your, and catch these words, sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. There is spiritual heritage. That's a part of your deposit. Say spiritual heritage. heritage. He says, "I, I see that. It was in them and it's in you. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. There's spiritual gifts. Say spiritual gifts. And so he's saying, you've got this deposit of of spiritual legacy, uh, of spiritual heritage, and then God has placed gifts in your life by his Holy Spirit. You may not realize it, you may not see them, you might know it, or you may be very well in touch with the fact that God has done something in you and he's placed some divine enablement in your life. He says, says, what you do is you fan that into flame. You get the picture of that? You ever try to start a campfire? You ever try to keep a bar? You ever start? Okay, you ever you ever fight up a barbecue? Yeah, some of you have had some very unfortunate experiences with barbecues. I just thought if you spray a whole lot of that bladder fluid in there, a whole lot until it's dripping out the bottom and then right on your shoe, then you light it, then you take the bottle and keep squirting it on there until it blows up in your face and your hair is gone. You singed. No, but you know, the way it works is you got to, you know, you get some little ice to, y'all remember hibachis? 
I mean, I was, I was so cool. I took my wife on a little date. I had a little hibachi, and I took some steaks and a little cooler. We went out to this lake and fired up the hibachi. But, you know, you had these little coals, and you got, you got to kind of get it going. And then, you know, sometimes you got to get a fire going. You got to kind of fan it. And, and, and oxygen, yeah, it needs oxygen. And, 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 and that's why wind actually works very good for fires and sometimes to our detriment. But he said... The, the stuff in you, you've got to fan that. You need the, the air. You need the wind of the Holy Spirit. You need that, that motion to fan that so that it, it, is, it is put to use. And he goes on to say, uh, he says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. There are spiritual resources. That's a part of your, dis- your deposit as well. A bold spirit, power, love, and self-control, self-discipline. And so he goes on and says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And he goes on to say, that's, that's what I've been appointed to. And he says, finally, he says, what you've heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard, and here it is again, verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. He said the same thing in the last chapter, a few verses before that in your Bibles, in the last chapter of First, of first Timothy. This is second. He said in the sixth chapter, about verse 20 of, of First Timothy, he says, that's exactly, guard the good deposit must be important for Timothy, and I think it's important for us as well. Now, as I wrap this up, I, I think that uh, there's a story that in the Old Testament, and, and the Bible says in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, around the 10th chapter, Paul says that stuff that's written in, in the Old Testament is written for our example, that we don't do stupid things like other people did. That's kind of, that's my, my paraphrase, right? And in the Old Testament, you, I had an uncle named Esau, and I, and I didn't realize that that was in the Bible until I was, you know, a little older. So I realized that they named the guy in the Bible after my uncle. <laughs> you know, I mean, from Houston, Texas, Esau. That's just how I am. But anyway, uh, Esau and Jacob, right? Esau and Jacob. Isaac's boys. Twins, but when they were born. Esau is the first one who comes out, but when they're born, Jacob is clutching his heel. Some of you feel that way about your siblings? Been, been grabbing onto me, pulling on me on. Jacob was described in the Old Testament as being kind of a homeboy, a mama's boy. He liked to cook. He liked to hang around his mom. He hung around the crib. Esau was kind of the wild man. He liked to go out and hunt and stuff. He was a rugged one. He was all hairy and stuff. And Esau was all smooth. Um, no, yeah, no, Jacob was all smooth, right? Esau was all hairy. And, you know, just a man of the wild, probably smelled like it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, because there's a whole thing about the, the, the blessing thing. We won't even get into it. But there's this one day when Esau's been out hunting, right? And, he's, and he gets home. And, you know, here's the difference between Jacob and Esau. Esau 
is kind of apparently has this kind of impulsiveness and this kind of lack of deferred gratification kind of thing, whereas Jacob seems to be a little more calculating. So in this moment, you got to watch. You always got to watch out for in the moment. You know how many you know what I'm talking about. You got to watch out for in the moment. In the moment, Esau's hungry, right? And so Jacob, dude, has some. He's cooking some. I don't know if it's chili or or menudo or chitlins or it's, you know, it's lentil soup. I think the, the Bible commentator said that doesn't sound very soulful to me. Red beans and rice with a little fat back thrown in there. I don't know, but he's got something cooking. You know how you come home and, you know, you remember when your mama used to do that crock pot thing? <laughs> you know, or, or the, the, big, the big pot on the stove and you don't know exactly what's in there, but it's something good and it smells up the whole house. And so he comes home. Esau's like, man, I'm starving. And some of you guys, when you get hungry, you are no good. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? In fact, not only are you no good, but you are very bad when you're hungry. I'll bite your head off when I'm hungry. He's like, I got to eat, man. So Jacob's up there stirring this stew. He's like, yeah, bro, what's up? He said, man, give me, give me a bowl of that, 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 give me a bowl of that, that red, man. He calls it in the Bible, he says, that red. So it had to be chilly, right? Give me a bowl of that, man. I'm famished. I'm dying here, man. I got to eat. And Jacob said, no, just step back, man. Step off. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. He said, now, if you want some of this soup, you got to give me your birthright. Now, you know what the birthright was, right? The oldest son had these special privileges and ended up with this position of honor and authority in the family and got a double portion of inheritance and the whole bit. It was like very prized. It's like, it's like there's certain things in life that are like really precious and really, really, really to be cherished and prized and not to be taken lightly. There's, lightly. there's some things that you, there's some roles in life. It's like pastoral ministry is something I consider something to be really valued and honored. It's like marriage is like that. You, you take vows and there's a certain role, a place you play, and you don't take those things lightly and, you don't, and you, don't, you don't play with them. But in that moment, Esau said, hey, dude, I'm hungry. Well, I care about a birthright. I want, let's eat. You read that, you think about it. Now, you're sitting here in, in the moment. It's like, oh, that is such an irresponsible decision. That is an ill-advised course of action. I think it is entirely reprehensible what Esau did. But when you get out in the heat of the moment, in the, in, in the realities of life, and when you're faced with choices, and when, when you have this one need crying out, and, this other, and, and, and the, the means of needing that need involve compromise and giving up something precious, letting go of a, of a deposit, turning from something that's precious in order to deal with the thing in a moment. Esau says, what up? Let's eat. It was a done deal. Jacob won. Jacob won. Now, he paid for it later, but he won. Now, let me, let me, so what does that mean? But this, this is what is said of, of, of him in Hebrews 12, 15, 17. And this is what the word says to the church. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. He said, don't be like that. He classifies that kind of person as godless. One translation says profane. He says this in verse 17, for, when, for you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. 
Some things in life you can't get back when you lose them. Some things you cannot recover. And so therefore, there are certain situations where it really is not worth it to, to forfeit or to neglect or to let go of the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. It's too valuable. It's too precious. You have a heritage. You've been graced. You've been grafted. You've been gifted. Guard that deposit. God has empowered you to do. Look what he says. You don't do that in your own strength. He says, do it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so you draw near to God and you, you, you get serious about the things of God. And, and you learn to talk to Jesus for yourself. And you learn to read and to understand the word of God. And you draw into him and he's going to help you do that. Guard the good deposit. Don't reject your heritage for just anything. Don't reject it for nothing. Look to people who have a measure of integrity, whose lives are working, who go to church and read the Bible and love others and respect their parents and honor their commitments and love their spouses and exhibit self-control. Don't reject 2,000 years of Christian wisdom and teaching in favor of something you see on TMZ. I know I'm, I'm a get messy as I close. I know Kanye West is a genius and all that, right? But before long, Jesus will have played out. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will be there. He is now. He is then. He is forever. There's all this junk that's passing. Live in your culture. Enjoy the your, the time, enjoy your age, enjoy the things right, but put everything in perspective and realize that there's some things that ain't worth giving up other things for. And build your hopes on things eternal. And I'm going to stop there.